All right, First Samuel. Pick up in chapter 22 tonight. How's everyone doing? Good? Allergies are holding off? So far, it's been rough, a lot of pollen this year. Well, I kind of wanted to open up and talk about a a little bit where we left off. It's been a couple of weeks since we were here. Um, The Bible often compares us to sheep. And um, Isaiah says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And I wish out of all animals that we would be compared to something else, you know? (laughs) Like, uh, I was thinking, you know, even though you don't want to be compared to a dog in general, but a loyal dog would be a better comparison, right? Always by the master's side, waiting for the command, you know? I think that would be a better comparison, but that's not the reality, you know, we are indeed like sheep. And um, um, Psalm uh, 119, verse 176 says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. We don't know specifically who wrote this psalm. It may have been a psalm of David. Um, Some people think Ezra or Daniel possibly wrote this uh, particular psalm. Um, And this happened to David, we saw in chapter 21, and we see it really throughout his life where he goes, he does go astray from time to time. Um, The writer of Hebrews compares going astray to to drifting, like um, basically the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that if you don't give heed to these things, to your your spiritual life, to your walk, um, you know, spending time with the Lord and in prayer, and in your word, and if you don't give heed to these things, that you'll drift through life. You'll drift away from the Lord, and that you get a picture of kind of a slow progression away from the Lord, but what happened to David was a little bit different. It was almost a a drastic situation that hit him, and um, this could happen to us too, and and, you know, when we started off last time, uh, we were together in in chapter 21, where Jonathan told David that Yes, Saul is out to kill you, and this time it's for real. You know, it's not just a spear here and there <laughs> thrown at your head, right, that you have to dodge. Uh, you can't, you're not going to be able to soothe him anymore with your harp, right? And, um, and this situation, initially, I think David, and obviously he went out in the flesh, right? At the beginning of chapter 21, we see he goes to the high priest, and um, he, he's going there for food, obviously, which is you know, seems fine, but when, it, when he started to get questioned, he um, came up with a lie, which was, he, you know, he was on the king's business, and it's a, it's a secret, right? It's, so don't tell anybody what's going on, and that's why my entourage isn't with me and all that. And, and so he told him a lie, um, and you guys remember he left with Goliath's sword, and the, the, um, Ahimelech uh, told him that was the only weapon they had there, and, and he took that with him. And then he ended up in Gath and the Philistines and the king of Gath. And we ended up on uh, chapter, at the end of chapter 21, where he's acting like a madman, spitting all over his beard. 
And uh, the king of Gath says, have I need for a madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? And so, um, again, I think in the flesh and not in the spirit is coming up with his own ways. And I think this happens to us. I know I've heard it said many times where people say, well, I guess there's nothing left to do now but pray, right? <laughs> and uh, they've, they've tried everything in the flesh, and now, now it's time to turn to the Lord. And um, when we start chapter 22, we see David in the cave. Um, I'll read kind of the, just the first sentence of verse 1 in chapter 22. Um, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And in the caves, um, you could, you know, when you're at home, you can, you can duck, duck, go it, or Google it, as they used to say. Um, you, can, you can Google the cave psalms and pull up all the psalms David wrote in the caves. And this is really a time of reflection for him. And you can see kind of David's heart by reading through the psalms. And actually, when I was preparing for this, I spent probably way more time in the psalms than I did in in. First Samuel here, because I really wanted to see what David was going through um, as, as he was doing this. So I, I put a couple of, of verses that were specifically called out for psalms he wrote in the cave. And so uh, psalms, Psalm 142, verses 5 through 6, it says, I cry out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry. For I am brought very low. Deliver me from persecutors, for they are stronger than I. And Psalm 57, verses 1 through 2. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge. Until these calamities have passed by, I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. And we could see at this point, you know, just by reading the Psalms, that David is now ready to submit to the Lord, right, and um, do the Lord's will. And so we see this quick return, unlike Saul, the king, who is, you know, um, unwilling to go with, with the Lord's will, and he wants his will to be done, uh, David is quick to return to the Lord. And this is a good lesson for us, of course, even when we do go astray from time to time, to be quick to repent and return to the Lord. And so we're going to pick up in uh, verse 1 there, second part of verse 1. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And... Um, and as you can imagine, I mean, this makes sense. Saul's out there to kill David, and he's concerned that David wants to take the, th- the throne, and so his family was probably at risk as well uh, because, you know, even if David is killed, there's maybe the potential risk of one of his brothers, right? He had seven older brothers, right, trying to take David's spot, right? And so his family is probably at risk as well, so they join him in the cave. And then verse 2 and everyone, well, this, this is crazy, look at this list. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And that word discontented, some of the versions read bitter in soul. I kind of like that. <laughs> you know, it's just like these people were in rough shape, you know, 
spiritually. Um, they gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. And it's incredible to me because David had to be thinking, you know, what, what do I have to offer? I'm on the run. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm broken myself. And all of these people are gathering to him. And it's, you know, 400 people. This are 400 men, it says. This is a, a large gathering, obviously. And it's, it's not the type of people the world would pick out as a, as a following, right, that you would want to have. Um, and I like this, uh, this uh, particular uh, author that I, I read this quote from, Alan Redpath. Um, in a book he wrote called The Making of a Man of God, Lessons from the Life of David, he wrote, Just as in David's day, there is a king in exile who is gathering around him a company of people who are in distress, in debt, and discontented. He is training and preparing them for the day when he shall come to reign. Therefore, the vital issue is, if you understand the spiritual significance of our day, in whose kingdom are you living? To which king are you giving your allegiance? Before whose authority are you bowing? Which master are you following every day? And this is, you guys can see the, the parallels here to the church, obviously. And what, um, you know, David, obviously not a per- perfect picture of Christ. <laughs> you know, we see that obviously. But uh, we do see that parallel, King David with King Jesus. And uh, those that... Um, gather to Jesus are those that are recognized the condition they're in and repent and um, follow Jesus, right? And that's the group we get um, gathered around David. Uh, verse 3. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother Come here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. And this, you know, this this makes sense, obviously. This is David's, you know, family, um, his parents. And if you guys remember, let's see if I remember, David, David's father, Jesse, right? Jesse's father, Obed. And Obed's father was Boaz. Um, Boaz married to Ruth, Ruth the Moabitess. And so it makes sense that that, you know, there's maybe some distant relatives that are there in Moab. And so for his, you know, not knowing what's going to happen with David and he's going to be on the run, he um, uh, basically leaves the, uh, his parents there in Moab. Uh, verse 5. Now the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forests of Harith. And this is the first time in the Bible we get uh, the prophet Gad shows up. And so there's, there's not a lot that's said about Gad. Um, the, the other, I guess, you know, similar to the prophet Nathan, you know, Nathan has a very prominent uh, role when, you know, he confronts David about Bathsheba and the sin there. He has a very prominent role in, in 2 Samuel. But Gad also confronts David when he takes the census, right? So Gad is the one that talks to David. Then he outlives David. So, there, you know, many people think that he may be younger than David. So he's probably a very young man at this point. 
I tend to believe he's one of the 400. You know, I don't know if he had a bad credit score or, you know, what his condition was, but he, I think he was one of those ones that um, uh, came and fled to be with David, and so probably a young man at this point. We also know about Gad, First uh, Chronicles 29-29, uh, it says, Now the acts of King David, first and last, indeed, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer in the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer. So we also know that Gad was a historian. He chronicled the life of David. And um, I, I tend to believe that a lot of what we're reading is probably from the account from Gad, right? Uh, the, and the reason why I say this, well, Samuel dies in chapter 25, right? And we, all, we have 2 Samuel after that. And so... Um, more than likely, First and Second Samuel is a combination of the accounts of Samuel, Gad, and Nathan. And so, you know, Gad was with him in the caves, and he was with these, this group. And so we may be reading the actual account from Gad, uh, the prophet here. Um, okay, enough on Gad. So verse, uh, verse 6, we shift scenes now, and we go, we go to Saul. So when Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with a spear in his hand. I love that the Bible points that out. You've got you to be quick on your feet if Saul's got a spear in his hand. And all the servants standing about him. Then Saul said to the servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servants against me to lie in wait as it is this day. And so we get typical Saul here. Uh, paranoia, we see him, and you guys know this, Saul was a Benjamite, and so he's addressing the Benjamites, and he's saying, David's not going to give you these things, right? Um, David's a son of Jesse. I, I think he picks the, the most humble title for David, right? He's not the anointed king, He's not the, man, the, the, the guy that, slug, slug, uh, that killed Goliath. Sorry, I couldn't get that word out. Uh, he's not the, the one who uh, had victory over the Philistines, right? He's the son of Jesse, the farmer, right? So what is the son of Jesse going to be able to do for you? And then he goes into, you know, tears about himself, and nobody loves him and all that stuff. And so typical Saul looking out for himself. Uh, verse 9 Oh, let me say this real quick before I go there. Um, you also see, which is kind of interesting, though, is division. Like, he's trying to strike up division between the tribes. And this seems to be a tactic not only of the enemy. You know, uh, Satan pulled aside a third of the angels, right? He struck up division amongst the angels. Um, but it's also of our flesh. Like, I think in our flesh we desire dividing people, right? Uh, you see this a lot with, um, you know, politicians that try to 
you know, ostracize a group of people and say, these people are bad. And so you get a bigger group that can say, these people are bad, right? And so this is a, a tactic of our flesh too, and a tactic of Satan. And here's Saul talking to the Benjamites, trying to divide them against the tribe, really the tribe of Judah, you would say, right? Of the Jews um, right here. So I wanted to point out uh, Jesus' prayer for us, John 17, 11, and I only took one verse, and uh, I consider this the Lord's prayer because he's praying for his disciples here. He says, now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be as one as we are. And I could pull a hundred verses out of the Bible about unity. Everyone speaks about unity. And the reason why is because it's hard. <laughs> I think it's really hard, right? And I think that's why the Bible addresses it often, is that we do need to strive for unity, right, in the spirit. Um, this is not something that comes easy or natural um, to us. Um, okay, so verse 9. Then... Oh, sorry. Okay, so we've we heard Saul's uh, thing, right? And then verse 9, Then answered Doag the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him. He inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So when you look at that, initially you would say, well, where, where's the lie? You guys remember last time? I mean, is he telling the truth? We have a smaller group, so I can ask questions. No, <laughs> nobody wants to answer. In a way, he's kind of telling a partial truth, right? Um, we don't know if Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him, but it wouldn't be out of the question. He's the high priest, and he should have been inquiring of the Lord for him, right? David was a prominent person in the kingdom, and he should have been praying for David. So I don't think that's out of the question that that may have happened. Um, did he give him provisions? Yes. Did he give him the sword of Goliath the Philistine? Yes. Uh, but he did leave out a key point, and, and Doag was there witnessing this. You can go back to chapter 21. He was there witnessing this, and the key point was that David told him he was about this, Saul's business, right? He was there following the orders from the king, and Ahimelech had no idea that David was on the run. So he left out a little little key uh, nugget there uh, that would have been very important to know at this point, right? And so um, we'll go to verse 11. Then Saul said to him, sorry, verse 11. So the king sent to Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. He answered, Here I am, my lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him? that he should rise up against me to lie in wait as it is this day. So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David? And there it is again. Isn't that incredible? Through all this account, David 
is probably, has got to be Saul's most faithful servant. I mean, we're going to see this, I mean, as we go through this, that he wouldn't even take, you know, he wouldn't even kill him when he had the opportunity, right? And yet Saul just couldn't see it. He was so blinded by his anger. And really his anger was towards God, you know, because the kingdom was being taken away from him. Um, but he was blinded by that. Okay, so I'm like, okay, who is, uh, sorry, I got distracted. And who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all of this, little or much. And he gives the, um, you know, the true account here that he knew nothing of it. In verse 16, um, and the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priest of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hand to strike the priest of the Lord. And um, incredible. to me, it's incredible. I think about this because that, well, we know Saul, what happened with Saul here is evil. It's pure evil. But when he turns to the servants and tells them to strike, and they're next to Saul. So I'm thinking of these guys like his bodyguards, right? His closest most trusted um, secret service guys that are around him saying, you know, kill the priest, and they wouldn't do it. You know, praise the Lord, right? Because they knew um, that, you know, we're going to follow Saul's order, but when it's unto sin, they chose not to. And that's very risky to turn away the king like that, right? To turn down the king. And I think that's an amazing account that they put this in the scripture that they didn't do that. Um, Acts 5.29 says, But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. And we know through the scriptures that the Bible says that we are to be um, peaceable with human authorities, that God puts them in place, right? And so we need to do our best to live with those governing authorities where we live. But to the point where these guys are, where they're given a commandment that is directly against what God wants, which is straight murder, right? They know that, um, that we are not to obey. And that's, that's exactly what Peter is saying here, right? That they told him they weren't allowed to preach in Jesus' name. And they said, no, we're not going to listen to that, right? Because we're going to listen to God rather than man. Um, verse 18, and we're going to see... This story digress. And the king said to Doag, You turn and kill the priest. So Doag the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day, listen to this, 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Isn't that incredible? Verse 19 Also, Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. And what, you know, I read through this several times this week, and I, I got to think this is, you know, the, the first 
major tragedy I remember was Columbine. I lived in Colorado at that time, and that was is one of those things you remember exactly where you were, and you remember who you talked to right away, and you're just you're just like unreal, right? And this had to be just an unreal tragedy for it, for Israel, the priests, the, all the family, and the whole city. Um, it's it's crazy, you know. I think of nine eleven too, right? Same kind of thing where you remember exactly where you were when you heard that event. And this is a, indeed a great tragedy. Um, I wanted to read in Psalm, well, let's turn there, Psalm 52. David wrote uh, Psalm 52 after this event, after he heard of this, this event taking place. I didn't put it up on the screen, so you've got to turn with me. Okay, Psalm 52, uh, to the chief musician, a contemplation of David, when Doag the Edomite went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Uh, Verse 1, why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? And I love this second part, the goodness of God endures continually. And any major tragedy like this, this is, you know, it's like David reminding himself, the goodness of God endures continually. It does not matter. The goodness of God endures. Verse 2, your tongue devises a destruction like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is a man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name, for it is good. And that's a David reflecting on this event here. Um, all right, back to First Samuel, and we'll pick up uh, verse 20. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doag the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. And we can see, I mean, David blames himself here, and I mean, he can't be blamed for it, I don't think, but in a sense, he didn't give, Ahimelech uh, the op, op, opportunity to just tell him the truth and let him decide, right? And that's where David messed up. If he told him the truth, and Ahimelech may have just given him the bread and the sword anyways. It may not have mattered to him, but let him decide um, his fate. Um, and so David definitely did take some 
account here, and he felt guilty for what happened because of, uh, because of the lie he told Ahimelech. And, you know, the, the, you know, sins have consequences, right? And that's, uh, uh, hopefully it's not that bad for us, but it's, it is a bad consequence that happened here. Um, uh, chapter 23, and um, verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floor. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? And so we see this situation, the Philistines are attacking. Now, really, Saul should have been the one protecting Keilah because this is Israelite territory. These are Israelites that are here, and he should have been the one protecting them. But, of course, Saul was busy trying to catch David, right? So he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. And so um, David goes to the Lord. He hears from the Lord. He goes to the people, and the people say, hey, we got our... We had our own problems, right? I mean, it's the same situation, I think, that David was in when the 400 people came to him. It's like, I got my own problems, but God called him to minister to the 400. And now God's calling the 400 to minister to the city, right, to go out and protect them against the Philistines. And, um, you know, at first I think, well, David's got two responses, right? He can say, um, yeah, you're right. You know, we got our own problems and we could stay here. Uh, maybe I didn't really hear from the Lord. You know, that's a pretty crazy thing to do. Um, he, or he could have said, listen to me, I'm, I'm your captain, right? You're going to do what I say. And he actually takes a third option here, and we can look at the next verse. Uh, then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, arise, go to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And um, I, I think that's a good leadership quality, you know, where he, he hears from the people under him, and they don't want to do it. And instead of just forcing them, he says, okay, maybe I heard incorrectly. I'm going to go to prayer again. I'm going to go before the Lord again. And then he was certain. And I think when he went back to the people, they were, he's like, hey, guys, I prayed again. The Lord's calling this. And they were with him at that point. And I thought that was really cool that David did that. Um, verse 5, and David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. So not only did he have a great victory there, but he took away their livestock. And um, you have to imagine that there was probably a big celebration. You know, they probably had a livestock barbecue, and the the inhabitants of uh, Keilah and the the men of David were were all there together, and they they kicked out the Philistines and were able to uh, loot some of their livestock in the process. Um, Verse 6, now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David and Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And um, it, 
Yeah, so, I mean, kind of back to the same point. Saul should have been there anyways because the Philistines were there, but now he's only motivated because David's there, right? So he's only motivated to go up against the city because David's there. Uh, Verse 9, when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. And then he asked two questions. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And listen to what the Lord says. And the Lord said, he will come down. And notice David asked two questions and he got one answer. And really it was the only answer David needed to hear. Uh, because David's concern was for the people in the town, and it wasn't beneficial for the people in the town if they stayed there. Um, And, I mean, you could see his concern was for that. I mean, in verse 10, it says um, that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. He didn't want the same thing that happened in Nob to happen in Keilah, right? And so once he knew that Saul was coming, then he knew that they needed to leave, but David is really curious about the second question, which is, you know, I kind of wanted to develop this a little bit because it's kind of interesting to me. Then David said, well, the men of Keilah delivered me and my men into the hand of Saul. And the Lord said, they will deliver you. And that, I think that kind of had to hurt, right? Especially after he just liberated them. Um, and he, he did what Saul should have been doing. And what he heard from God is, and this is kind of like minority report, but, you know, because they never did it. They never delivered him, but God knows what's going to happen if they stay there. And what he's hearing from God is, yes, they're going to betray you and turn you over to Saul. And um, David had a, you know, when we read through um, some, of the, some of the other Psalms, David was betrayed often, you know, and... Um, he, he had a, a tough go about this. I, I wanted to, uh, well, let's turn there, actually. It's Psalms uh, 50, Psalm 55. I should have just had you keep your place. I told you I spent a good bit of time in Psalm, <laughs> Psalm 55, verse 12. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it, nor it is the one who hates me who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it is, but it was you, a man, my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. We walked to the house of God in the throng. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell, for wickedness is in their dwelling and among them. And uh, we could see David's heart here. (laughs) Like it was, there's bitterness there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, um, he's, you know, this is a Psalm of David where he's, you know, talking about somebody that was close to him that betrayed him, somebody he did ministry with that betrayed him. And, um, And the initial reaction from David is, is, is striking to me, you know, to wish that upon somebody. There's another psalm, uh, I think it's 109, similar kind of thing, where 
you know, he's talking about someone betraying him, and then he says, um, let their kids wander and beg for food, you know, and I mean, it's like you can tell there's bitterness in his heart. Um, I wanted to kind of stop on this a little bit and talk about this because, you know, Jesus is the, the greatest example. David's not the greatest example in my mind of this. David de- dealt with betrayal. I think he trusted people. He really did trust people. I mean, these 400 people come to him and he takes them in and becomes their captain. He trusts people, you know, and then in, in, in that, you could be hurt quickly too, right? Um, but Jesus is really the greatest example because he did ministry with Judas for years, three years, right? He did ministry with Judas and he knew the, he knew the end. He knew what was going to happen. Um, and yet he never had bitterness towards him. You can, you can, Read through the scriptures, right? He never had bitterness towards Judas. And, and he pitied him. He felt sorry for him. And yet Judas was the one that betrayed him, right? That pretended to be his friend and pretended. And, um, and, and to me, Judas is, or Jesus is the best example for us for this and how to deal with people. Um, I want to read Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. And um, awesome. Let all bitterness, wrath, Anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And I, I hear Christians say this a lot, that uh, we, we need to, and I've said it to people too, you need to forgive them, we need to forgive each other. And f- forgiveness is like the ultimate. You know what I mean? It, it includes everything. Because it's like, you know, everything that we talk about here, go, go to verse 31 again, Jordan, if you could. When you look at verse 31, I mean, it's all these other elements that are involved, right? And if, if, so, if you go ask somebody for forgiveness, you sin against them, and they go, I forgive you, but I'm, never, I'm, I'm still angry or whatever, right? Then it's not done, right? <laughs> the, the whole package isn't done yet. The whole forgiveness package isn't done yet. And really what we struggle with is verse 31, forgiveness is really the easier part <laughs> in my mind. Verse 31 is the bitterness, the wrath, the, the anger, the clamor, speaking, uh, speaking evil about somebody, right? Speaking bad about them, right? Behind their back. Uh, those kinds of things. Those are, those are really, those are our problems that we have when somebody betrays us and that we struggle with. If we didn't have those, if those went away, the forgiveness is easy, right? When someone comes and asks, repents, and says, I'm ready to reconcile. I'm ready. I, I need forgiveness. And if, if those issues, verse 31 is not a problem, then forgiveness is easy, right? That's the simple part. Um, and, and I like how verse 32 finishes, even as God in Christ forgave you. And um, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful Look, listen how that starts. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a, that forgiveness is a, uh, it's a two-way street. It really is, right? Uh, we confess, God promises to forgive us. And uh, true, true forgiveness between believers in the church or is, is a true two-way street. Really, we don't, we don't always get there with people, to be honest with you. We don't always get to reconciliation. Sometimes I know there's relationships where people have separated and never seen each other again. Um, but we, we still have to let go of 
bitterness and wrath and anger, those things have to be let go. And then hopefully in God's timing, that forgiveness can, can happen, the complete package, right, the whole deal. Um, but I do think David struggled with this a bit in his life, you know, just reading through the Psalms that, uh, the, and I don't blame him. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people do because it's, uh, it's tough, especially when you trust people easily, right? It's tough, those situations. All right. I'll get back to it. First, uh, verse 13. So David and his men, about 600, and notice they were 400, and now they're 600, so they're growing, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul and David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted and halted the expedition. Uh, verse 14, and David stayed in the stronghold in the wilderness and remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. And that just shows you Saul. I mean, every day, that's what he was busy doing. Verse 15, so David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Don't you guys find that? I, like when I read that, I'm like, that's so crazy. Saul's seeking him every day, every day. And then one day Jonathan wakes up, I think I'm going to go see David today. He just goes out there and sees him. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> but you know, it's from the Lord. You know, David needed that encouragement and, um, you know, prompted Jonathan, obviously, to go out and see him. And then he met up with him there. Uh, verse, uh, verse 17, and he said to him, do not fear. And of course, you wouldn't say that to somebody unless they were afraid. And so we could kind of see the condition of David at this point. Uh, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father, Saul, knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before God, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. And to me, this is just a reminder that we need to be, um, we need to be open to the Lord and just him prompting us to encourage people, you know, just um, being aware of what's going on and being in prayer. And I think the Lord will prompt us to encourage people. There's, you know, a lot of times we see people and they we think that they're confident in what they're doing and all that, but it's not always the case, you know? I know I don't teach a lot, but at least half the time I'll ask my wife afterwards, is was that okay, you know? And, and just because, you know, I'm not, I don't do this all the time, right? And so I'm, I'm not totally confident in that. And um, a lot of people are like that, you know, that they need, they need that encouragement. And so, um, you know, this, this group here, if we could just keep that in mind as, we're, as we see people, it's good to encourage them like Jonathan was doing here with David and just being aware of what's going on around us. And then uh, verse, uh, verse 19. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hekila, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now, therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. 
and I don't know who these guys are, but <laughs> it's, it's incredible to me because I think David would have fought for them just like he did to the people of Keilah, and they, they were, you know, ratting him out already. And uh, David did write a psalm about them as well, Psalm 54. We're not going to read it, but um, he, he wrote it out, the, the Ziphites who ratted him out to Saul. And, um, but uh, you guys can read that as homework. Uh, verse 21, and Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord. For you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there. For I am told he is very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout the clans of Judah. So they rose and went to Ziph before Saul, but David and his men were in the wilderness of Moan, in the plain of the south of Jeshimon. And you can see this is just some back and forth. You know, Saul's trying to find him. As soon as Saul gets there, David's somewhere else. And there, you know, he's, and by the end of this, he's, he gets right on his heels. Uh, verse 25, when Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Moan. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Moan. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, and Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. And then I think God steps in here, verse 27. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore, Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called the place the, place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi. He got close, but he didn't get there. So we'll pick up next time, chapter 24. Any questions? Thoughts? I'm right on time. All right, let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, it's like kind of an emotional roller coaster for, for David tonight. And um, I know our lives could be that way too. And um, I just pray for, for everyone here, Lord, everyone in the church body in general, um, our community, our city, Lord. I pray for uh, that we would just turn to you. There's, there's many of us who are distressed and discontent and in debt, Lord, and I just pray that we, we find our strength, our refuge in you. Lord, I pray that uh, we're, we're prompted this week to encourage one another and lift up one another, Lord, in the Lord. And uh, Lord, we just, we love your word. Thank you for ministering to us. In Jesus' name, amen.